0: up? You are listening to the All Pacers Pod, a podcast for Pacer fans, by Pacer fans. I'm your host, Jack, and as always, I'm joined by Sal. Sal, how's it going, man?
1: It's going great. Perfect.
0: Perfect, because Sal is in full-on tank mode for the Pacers, and we just lost on a buzzer beater to the Sacramento Kings, which is heartbreaking in a lot of ways, because you never want to lose to the ugly stepchild of the NBA, which is the Sacramento Kings. But... We, I, th- I believe the Pacers and Kings both had 25 wins coming into this game, and now the Kings have 26 and the Pacers have 25, so we're one step closer to that f- top five lottery odds. Sal, is that how you're thinking about it, too?
1: Yeah, they're two games behind us now that they beat us, so um, we lost on a Trey missed three, but it was put back by Damon Jones, of all people. Many people might not even know that name, but... Uh, yes, we lost to Damon Jones. I
0: know him from the Golden State Warriors.
1: That's where I know him from. Today. Yeah,
0: I, uh, I, I've followed the Sacramento Kings on Instagram for a long time because I mean they're a fun follow. I don't, I'm not, I was never even a Kings fan. Obviously, Sabonis is there now. Holiday, Jeremy Lamb. So like, there's more to root for. But yeah, I've always followed the Kings. So I, I, I knew that he was there. I knew Chemezi Metu was like someone they were excited about, but uh, I didn't know. That they were going to be good enough to beat the Pacers um, in a in a must lose game. So shout out to those guys. I totally underestimated them, but they're helping us out, so we appreciate it. I was listening to Sal watch the game over. Uh, we're we're doing a Zoom call, and Sal was rooting for Davion Mitchell the whole time. It was it was a weird experience. <laughs> I, we probably shouldn't even be talking about this on the Help Pacers Pod because I know there's a ton of fans out there who are so against the tank, but. You guys know where we stand, so um, obviously we love the team. But Sal, you have some exciting travel plans the next couple of days, right?
1: Yes, I'll be heading to Toronto for the Pacers vs. Raptors on Saturday. It'll be my first Pacers game, so very, very excited for that. Yeah,
0: and probably nobody's going to be healthy, right?
1: I uh, got a knock on wood after yeah, saying I'll that. Yeah, a knock
0: on wood. We... Uh, yeah, I mean, I there will be, you know, some of the... Obviously, like, O'Shea Brissett's not going to miss the chance to play in Canada, right?
1: Of course. I hope
0: Lance not. is probably going to suit up. Tyrese Halliburton's he's the big healthy. one. And then Chris Duarte, too. You never know when he's going to play. He's, he's like Malcolm yeah. Brogdon 2.0 at this point.
1: Yeah. And speaking of That's which, scary.
0: Malcolm Brogdon could play, too. I know you're following it daily, probably yeah. by the hour, of who's going to be playing, so... Uh, I, I yeah. hope, I hope all the guys that you want to play, play Sal, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we got a fun episode today cause we're, we're we've, at, we've, we've heard from the fans, we've heard from all of the Pacers community and what we've gathered over this time is, you know, like a lot of good information about the Pacers and talking games, all that stuff. But the one thing we hear consistently is Lance Stevenson propaganda and we're part of it. We are big believers in Lance, obviously. like We we love Lance Stevenson here on the All Pacers pod. Lance, if you're listening, shout out. We would love to have you on the episode. Just let us know. An episode. Multiple episodes, too, if you'd like. But the point is, we're talking Lance in this episode, and we wanted to get down to... We, we have the top 50 Pacers all-time rankings, but we modified this list. We wanted to figure out where Lance Stevenson fell on this list, and Top 50, like, yeah, he's top 50. Where he falls in there, though, like, that's still up for debate. Obviously, like, you know, his career's not done, so if he plays for Indiana at least one more season, he could move around there. But we're going to go from Reggie Miller's time in Indiana, which we're roughly saying 1987, like his rookie year. We're not, like, totally deep diving the early 90s for, like, the best guys. Like, Steve Stepanovich, I'm sure, is not on your list, Sal. No. Okay, so I took him off the list, too. Um, great player. If you haven't heard of Steve Stepanovich, look him up. He played in, in 88, 1988 with Reggie Miller, but that's just Reggie's, what, first or second year. So we didn't want to put him on the list. So, like, we really took from, like, the 2000 season to now and tried to rank the best Pacers during that time. And... We want to talk about where Lance Stevenson falls. That's really the big point of this. And we'll talk about his potential too. Like, what if he plays 82 more games? Where can he fall? We'll we'll get to the bottom of it. But if you're listening today, it's going to be a fun episode. And as always, you, you know we've done our research. So we're here. We're prepared. We're ready to speak the truth to the All-Pacers community. So, Sal, do you want to start with this? Or do you want to like recap this Sacramento Kings game? What, what um, are you feeling right now?
1: Well, the game that just ended, uh, Pacers lost 109 to 110, and uh, Tyrese had 13 points. Guess how many assists he had? Uh, nine. 15. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the effect of not playing with Malcolm Brogdon, but that's <laughs> besides the point. Um, and uh, Davion Mitchell, former teammate of Tyrese and Buddy, absolutely cooked. Uh, lost to him 25 points. Uh, Goga got put in a poster by uh, Trey Lyles with his prepubescent face that he shaved his beard with. So it's pretty funny. And um, Buddy Heald also had a great game. Uh, shot pretty well. I think he had 25 points. So, yeah, I mean, it was a good game. Exciting loss. And that's exactly what we asked for. Goga tried to win it. Yeah, Goga Goga tried to win it, but at the very end of the game when Buddy was dribbling up the ball, all he needed to do was just hold on to the ball, get fouled, put us up three points. But instead, one could say he intentionally threw the ball out of bounds. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty hard to just let the ball go out like that, but uh, yeah.
0: Buddy is in favor of the tank. Let's just put it that way. Uh, also, who knew Buddy was this good? I know that's like a bad mistake that you never want to see but look, he's been on a losing team his whole career. I mean, he's been really good for the Pacers, better than I expected him to be coming from Sacramento. So he's been a fun player. Brogdon's been really good recently, too. I know you're totally against Brogdon, Sal, but it's going to be hard for the Pacers to decide going forward like who to keep on this team. Maybe they do get rid of both because the trade value will be high for both those guys in the offseason, but... Yeah, I mean, it's this is like a battle, it feels like, between those two guys, and I don't know who's going to come out on top. What, what are your thoughts right now? Obviously, I know you want Brogdon to be the one who gets traded, but, I mean, Buddy's a good player. Is he a winning player, though?
1: Personally, I'd much rather keep Buddy healed. He fits perfectly beside Tyrese, and if anything, we're not trying to look to win right now. I think maybe either, I I think next year is going to be another down year for us and maybe the year after that also a down year, but I think we're not going to tank for too long. I think it's going to be a one or two year uh, rebuild after this, like one or two more years of being not contending or not trying to contend. But I think keeping Brogdon around is only going to slow down Tyrese's growth, but putting Tyrese with a guy like Chris or even buddy, just keeping those two guys at shooting guard for Tyrese will accelerate his growth and keep him on the trajectory of being like a superstar talent for us in the near future.
0: Yeah. And you know, as Chris Duarte gains more confidence, yeah, I, like he's a great three point shooter already at this point in his career. And, uh, Great defender too. He doesn't remain healthy, and he just doesn't have all that confidence yet. I predict that as he, you know, gets more confident and more reps in the NBA, and hopefully stays healthy too for long stretches, that he will be that perfect wingman alongside Halliburton. And I mean, obviously, like we've talked about it a ton, like those are the two guys we want to build around. But it is really a great fit those two guys. Buddy Hield is that shooter though that would be great next to a playmaking point guard and game facilitator too, which Tyrese Halliburton is so yeah we got two guys there it'd be nice if you could add them together and just be like you know a great defense buddy healed just all of a sudden a great defender you know
1: and then we also got our draft so maybe we take Ivy and maybe we say screw buddy healed screw Chris Dorte, put Ivy at two because hey. if we're drafting top five there is no way we don't start that player and if if we don't start a top five pick, I don't know if I could stay a fan. I think that would be, that would be, it. That would be the most poverty franchise move of all time. No, but, no, uh, no. You're no. There's no way. Yeah, I ideally Trust. want a big man though. I really want a big man. I want a four from the draft. But if Ivy's there and Paolo Chet and Jabari are gone, take Ivy. So Chet, I I don't know if you've watched March March Madness
0: at all. I but, have a little bit. Yeah, Chet's looked weak which yeah makes yeah. sense he's 190 and 7-2 it's just not a good mix but I, you know he has a ton of good aspects to his game yeah which makes him a potential number one overall pick mm-hmm. I just I've lost some excitement for him as a prospect I've lost some excitement for Paolo Benchero as a prospect too I do really like Jabari Smith but I think Jaden Ivy. Want. yeah Jabari Smith's been awesome I really like Jaden Ivy too and I think he's moving up I I bet he ends up going top two, and, two yeah, and I know that's no. Crazy. I think he's
1: four or five, four or five lock in my opinion. Man, it's just he he
0: looks like an NBA player already, and I mean it's he's just in a league of his own. It's it's insane to me. I get like the high upside upside with those big men, but Jaden Ivey is. Like, he has just as much potential. And even with Ja Morant coming onto the scene the way that he has recently, like that explosive guard that you yeah, knew coming out of college. he looks
1: call. like flashing like Ja.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, those guys who just, like, you give the ball and they shoot out of a cannon, basically get to yeah. the rim however they want. They can get a bucket whenever they want. And mm-hmm. Jaden Ivey can shoot, too. So, I mean, I don't know. I I've said it from the beginning. He's my favorite prospect in this draft. I think he's going to be the best player to come out of this draft, too. I know it's a hot take, but...
1: Burning hot take. But it's cake. it's not that hot. I mean...
0: All right, let's take a quick break. Let's talk about where Lance ranks all time because that's what people want to hear, Sal. How do you want to do this?
1: So do we make the segment on just Lance or do you want to do it ranking like maybe... I have set 18 guys in my list. Do you want to go one to like 18?
0: Yeah, I want to get... Let's get to the point where Lance is because the whole reason we're even calling this the Lance segment is he's moving up the list, but it's hard to know exactly where he is on this list. You know, he's everyone's favorite or at least everyone's top three favorite pacers if you're if you've been a fan since two thousand, Lance is up there, mm-hmm. and talent wise is he up there? Probably not. but. Like, you, you gotta. We really had a deep dive to figure out where he ranks because you gotta know. And he's been, you know, with the organization for seven years, played 328 games, which is pretty average for like these guys on this list. But, you know, there's guys who only played for four seasons and 139 games, like Victor Oladipo. Is Lance a better pacer all time than Oladipo? I don't know. We're gonna talk about it, we're gonna figure this out and I, I know where I stand on it, Sal. I'm curious where you do, but we'll we'll figure that out as we go. The whole point is, though, like I want to figure out where Lance is, and then I want to kind of project where he could be if he plays one more season with the Pacers at least. So does that sound good to you? Yes. So let's go ahead and get the first one out of the way. I'm sure we agree, because we're basing this off of Reggie Miller's time with the Pacers. Like, yeah. that's the beginning point of this whole phase. So. Reggie's my first guy. I'm guessing he's your first as well.
1: He's actually my first. Just kidding. Uh, Yeah, he's he's my first, obviously.
0: Yeah, I mean, Um, 18 seasons, 1,389 games. That's way more than anybody else on this list. So that alone is going to put him high up there. At least the way that I base this. Like, longevity is important to me. Not, like, so important that Jeff Foster is going to be next. (laughs) But important enough to where, like, if you just played one season... And, like, okay, so Brad Miller, we'll get there eventually. Well, probably not, but Brad Miller... Brad played, Wanamaker,
1: Brad Wanamaker. Or
0: Brad Wanamaker, <laughs> who played one season. No, Brad Miller, who was an all-star for the Pacers, for uh, he played for us for one season, was an all-star, and then was gone the next year. Like, he's not going to be better than some of these guys that were there longer that maybe weren't all-stars. But, you know, like, they were there longer, so the longevity matters to me. So, yeah, but Reggie wins in longevity and also wins as probably the most talented player on this list too. Is that is that what you're thinking as well?
1: Um y- yes, yeah. I think there's only one player in my mind right now that can potentially pass him. That's been in a Pacers jersey, which is Lance Stevenson. Which is Mr. Mr. Tyrese. But uh that's a that's a hot take right now. Yeah. But um Yeah. And then my number 2 and is Jermaine. I don't know if you have the same.
0: Yeah, I have Jermaine at number two. Uh, eight seasons, 514 games. Most all-star appearances all-time for the Pacers. Yeah, and and
1: six, right?
0: Yep. Which is kind of low. It's kind of sad. Yeah, but I know. It's kind of low. It's really weird. I mean, originally had five, too. That, you yeah. know, something's wrong weird. there. But yeah, weird. He was playing during the same time as Michael Jordan, so there was always yeah. that one guard position gone. So I at least had to battle that, but... Um, yeah, so Jermaine O'Neal, like you said, six-time All-Star. In his peak, which he finished third in the All-Star, or in MVP voting, he averaged 24.3 points, nine rebounds, and two assists, plus two blocks per game. I mean, this, this dude could do it all defensively and offensively. He was my one of my favorite players growing up. I had his poster above my bed, and Jermaine O'Neal was the real deal. And yeah, number two, I think, is the right spot for him. In all time, he's top five at least, maybe top three. So, yeah, number two is a good spot, I think, for here. So I'm glad we agree on that. Who do you have for three?
1: So three to five is where it gets tricky, I think, uh, for a lot of people. I'll just say my three to five right now. I have Paul George. I know you don't like that one. Um, Victor Oladipo and then Sabonis.
0: Okay. Yeah, we're, we're actually way different on this. Yeah. So tell me why that's your three.
1: So, Paul George, um, if we're talking talent-wise, is either one and two with Reggie based on talent. I mean, he had that season where he almost was uh, MVP, but that's on the Thunder. But as a pacer, I mean battling LeBron, getting deep in the playoffs, conference finals, like that that's enough for me to put him at three. I mean, that's very successful. Like I'm not talking about these guys that are black and white screen that I've never watched play because like Mel Daniels, I mean, Mel Daniels, George McGinnis, these are guys that are very good and have very accoladed careers with the Pacers, but I can't speak on that. So um, that's about it for Paul George. But uh, Victor Oladipo, I mean, this is a guy, two-time All-Star um, in his i think it was his first year with indiana right uh he was most improved player steals leader all nba third team and an all-star so and all I mean, defense yeah team, and all the first team i mean first team yeah so like that that's crazy in itself and then adding another all-star appearance i mean he left us pretty sourly but i mean i have the respect for this guy i mean like he was gonna be our franchise guy if he didn't get injured and like i mean i gotta respect him there and then sabonis uh you know, that's always going to be my favorite player ever. So, um, I mean, he had two all-star appearances with us. Um, I mean, it ended it didn't end on a bad note. Uh, and he's always, like, a guy that's going to give you stats. He's going to win you games. Maybe not in the postseason. That's why I kind of have him lower here because we didn't really win anything with him. We didn't even get past the first round with him. So, yeah.
0: He's young. I don't have him in my next three I also don't have um, well no I, I do have Oladipo but my next three I have Paul George at three which you said mm-hmm. I don't like Paul George I, I don't like him as a person <laughs> at least for the way he left Indiana I I will always respect his talent but I just I gotta take my stance and I, I can't change it. I know people love him probably many people who listen to this podcast became a Pacer fan because of Paul George's influence so I don't want to discredit that. Just know I was hurt, and this is important to me. <laughs> but I still have him at third because, yeah, he was super talented, probably as talented, if not more talented than Reggie, just doesn't have those intangibles the same way that Reggie did. You know, when Paul George was in Indiana, he was 0 for 21 in last second, or what was it, final one-minute uh, field goal attempts was not clutch doesn't have a clutch bone in his body i know that's changed like deeper into his career he's had more opportunities now too so that changes things but didn't have that intangible that reggie had so i'll I'll never say he was better than reggie i won't even put him on the same tier talent wise though yeah great player talent wise not yeah no doubt and i i don't want to discredit any of that either great player so i have him at three he played seven seasons 448 games for us I can't picture putting anyone else over him um, from the rest of this list. So, yeah, third's a good spot. Then four, I actually have Danny Granger. And this might be a little biased because, you know, like I said, I grew up, Jermaine O'Neal is one of my favorite players. So, like, it was around that era, you know, Danny Granger came in next, and he was like a revelation for the Pacers, you know, all-star and just great player, super underrated, but kind of, like, embodied that – uh team work ethic that like the Pacers have always like you know kind of blue collar coming out of that Jermaine O'Neal runner test Stephen Jackson era and you know it was just kind of like a good transition from that into the new era but I just love Danny Granger and like that talent was always there and very apparent he was always like that guy around the league where everyone knew how great he was but it was just not like the most exciting player to be um, excited about so I have him at four, nine seasons, 544 games. And if he was still on the Pacers during that final run with Paul George, Roy Hibbert, David West, we probably would have made it to the finals. That's,
1: I have him at six. So, okay. Pretty
0: so close. yeah, well, yeah. And I'm sure like your seventh, cause I actually have Sabonis at seven. I'm sure your seventh is the guy that I have ahead of him on this list. So we'll, we'll get to that. But at fifth, I have Oladipo. Um, Talent-wise, I have a hard time putting any of these other guys ahead of him, especially with his one good season in Indiana. He barely played any games. He's a total exception to this list for me. But mm-hmm. from what he was able to accomplish in one season, especially with the fallout from Paul George, it was huge. Yeah, And, you know, the accolades that he got that one season is better than a lot of these guys did in their whole careers. So fifth, I think, is a good spot for him. Like mm-hmm. like Paul George, Oladipo hurt me too, but I mean, I can't deny the truth, which is he was a great player for the Pacers. And then we can move on to our next three. I'm just going to go ahead. I already said it's a bonus to seven, but six, I have Rick Smits, who played 12 seasons, 867 games, Reggie's wingman, and just an important player for the Pacers, had his moments against Shaq in the NBA Finals, and you know, like anytime you make it, and anytime you're a team that makes to the Finals and you're an important piece to that team you're probably going to be high on any team's all-time player list. So Rick Smith, I have at 6. Sabonis at 7. Who do you have at 6 and 7?
1: I said I had Danny Granger at 6, and then at oh, yeah. 7 I have Rick Smith. So the Duncan cool. Dutchman, right? That's
0: yeah. Second. So I'm sure it's the same reasons I have those guys too. And yeah, let's, same let's, reason. Let's kind of grind through these next three. Let's
1: get to 10. All right. I have, uh, I have Ron Artest at 8. Defensive player of the year, one of the youngest defensive player of the years. I think he might be the youngest, but um, got to fact check me on that. But yeah, our test, I mean, grit, absolute dog. Um, but he he uh, might have cost us our little championship that we kind of had going, but that's okay. Um, Mark Jackson at nine. I mean, this guy averaged almost a double-double with assists, so that's kind of crazy. Uh, and he also leads, like he's high up on the assist totals in all time and then I have uh, as much as I don't like to say it that I have this men's jersey um, I have Roy Hibbert pretty funny one the guy disappeared on us in the playoffs but um, I mean he's still a two time all star so gotta give him a little bit of credit
0: yeah and I mean an important player in that era too Uh, Jalen Rose I have him at eight I think he was the most prolific scorer at that point for the Pacers during the finals run that we had and I just loved him as a player so Jalen Rose I have eight Dale Davis, I have at nine, who, like I said with Rick Smiths and Jalen Rose, I had to bump them up because they were on these finals team, or the finals team, I, I always want to say teams. I have very high, I have a very high vision of this early 2000s Pacers roster, so I just always assume they did way better than they did, which they did great, just never crested the mountain. Um... But, yeah, Dale Davis at nine. Father of Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana Hoosier superstar. But love Dale Davis. And then number 10, I also have Roy Hibbert. I'm a huge Roy Hibbert fan. He was an icon in that era. And you could argue he was the most important player for the Pacers during those two championship runs. But our lists say otherwise. So, yeah, Roy Hibbert at 10.
1: All right. For my next three, I have three players that are on the current roster.
0: Okay, let's go.
1: <laughs> Lance Stevenson at 11. Whoa, right. uh, okay. This man is Indiana. He embodies Indiana. Indiana is him. Whatever other team he plays on, he is not very good. And <laughs> when he's on Indiana, he is is a very good player. He's consistent, all right? Um, this year, he's transitioned into like a point guard. I don't know where this came from, but this guy can have good nights where he has like 10-plus assists, which I never thought I would be ever saying. But, uh, I mean, yeah, Lance Stevenson had a year where he was uh, – I mean, he said himself that he was very angry that he didn't make the All Star team because the Pacers were the one seed. And, um, I mean, yeah, he was on the team when the Pacers were really successful with Paul George. So I got to give him that. And, um, I mean, yeah, uh, he's been a good playoff player as well. And, uh,. Yeah, he he is Indiana. He is the definition of Indiana right now in these modern times.
0: So you have him at 11th. That's why your list is only to 18. That makes sense to me now. Okay. Yeah. I um, I cannot believe he's that high for you. I'm I'm excited for this list. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I love your reasoning. He is he is the most other than Reggie, yeah. the player that needed Indi Reggie didn't even need Indiana. Reggie could have been successful anywhere. So yeah. I take back all of this. Lance is the one player in the history of the Pacers organization that needed the Pacers more than any other player. Yes. So, I mean, that alone is crazy, but it's the truth, and I, I don't know if there's any other player like that for other teams, but as far as I know, there's not another player who needs a team the way that Lance needs the Pacers, and Lance, if you're listening, the Pacers need you too, man. We're so glad you're here. So, 11th is high with some of these other guys but I mean third all-time in triple doubles for the Pacers you could argue was the third best player for the 2014 Pacers team and you could also argue was the reason they lost to the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals because of the fist fight he got into with Evan Turner before the playoffs but there's other other things you can blame uh that travesty on but yeah, I mean, Lance a great player. 11th though, insane. There's, you know, there's some other guys that you're putting him ahead of. That's
1: kind of crazy, right? Um, my next two guys. Uh, I I know you're not gonna like this list now, but <laughs> <That's here. laughs> I have I have Miles Turner. Okay. That's that's an Indiana boy. He's gonna. I mean, it's looking like he's gonna stay with us for the next few seasons. So I expect <laughs> him to get pretty high up on that blocks list, if not first. I mean, I don't know if he'll pass Jermaine, but. Um, uh, he'll be top two in blocks by the time he's done with the Pacers now, probably. Um, and then uh, I really didn't want to say this, but uh, I think I think Malcolm Brogdon is thirteen. Okay, you don't even want to know where I have Malcolm Brogdon.
0: <laughs> this is different eras of Pacers fandoms, though. I mean, that's the truth. Like, I've been a fan of the Pacers since probably like an actual fan. Well, okay, I don't want to say actual fan maybe like 4th grade for me so mid 2000s like I started liking this team you know so like I have some of these guys from 2004 on that I just you know probably like better than a lot of these newer era guys you've been a Pacer fan more recently or became a Pacer fan more recently so yeah I'm sure like you don't remember how good Travis Best was
1: right when Paul George got traded that's when I was a Pacers fan
0: great time Great time to become a Pacer fan. That was such a fun season, that first Oledo year. Yeah. That might be my favorite season of all time. But okay, Malcolm Brogdon. What you're kind of the biggest Malcolm Brogdon hater right now. What what makes you want to put him so high?
1: I mean, last season, like, pre-all-star break, this guy was the best player on the Pacers. And he should have made it over Sabonis, but the guard position rule made is stupid. But um Yeah, like, Brogdon pre-All-Star break was ridiculous, and he was very, very, very good. Like, he was a top point guard in the NBA. But after the All-Star break, kind of fell off a bit. But, um, I mean, as much as I don't like him fitting beside Tyrese and his, like, ball-hogging tendencies that kind of shed light in the playoffs against Miami, um, I mean, he's, like... He was—I mean, he was a fifty, forty, ninety club guy, um, and he's a clutch—he's a clutch player, and he can score. He's—he's a, he's a great all-around player because he's—he can play defense too. He's got offense, and I don't want to sound like a super casual new Pacers fan, no, but no. I mean, I do um, rank these guys higher because I mean, I have the ultimate eye test with them rather than the guys before. And I know my Pacers history relatively well, but.
0: Yeah, and I'm not, I would never call you a casual fan because that's not true. But yeah, you know, just experiences are different. So yeah, Brogdon high for you. I don't, should I tell you where I have Brogdon ranked? Because it might blow your mind. (laughs) It's
1: got to be like 20 something
0: to 30 something. It's 20 to 30 something, yeah. Leaning more towards 30. Like 28. I have him at 28.
1: Whoa, <laughs> I guess that? Yeah,
0: crazy. Good guess. But yeah, I have him way down this list. So when you said, what, 13? Yeah. yeah. That blew my mind. So <laughs> I, I have, totally I have, you have him 15, 15 spots lower. I love it. So I'm going to go. my So my 11th, I have Mark Jackson, for the reasons you said. Played six seasons, 405 games. The last true point guard that the Pacers had until Tyrese Halliburton. We'll see. Um, number 12, I have Detlef Shrimp. I'm a big shrimp fan. so I, Five seasons, 340, 354 games, and an all-star. That's important to me. The best player on a few of those teams, too. That's also important to me. Which, when you said that you thought Brogdon was the best player for the Pacers last year, it kind of clicked. Like, okay, well, if he thought he was the best player for the Pacers last year, then of course he has him up higher on this list. Because if someone was the best player for the Pacers, like Troy Murphy was maybe the best player on the Pacers one year. I had to bump him up this list a little bit, you know? Like, I have him over Malcolm Brogdon, which might be crazy. But, yeah, if you're the best player on a team for one season at least, then, yeah, you move up the list. So, that makes sense for me. I just wanted to let you know. I'm not mad about your pick. Um, and then, number 13, I actually put Ron Artest here, which was hard. I really wanted to put him in the 20s to 30s because of how it ended. Oh his- that's a little... It's a little far out. It's it's It might not be. He played five seasons in 193 games and was the reason that the
1: team fell apart. So, But he was also the reason that the team was really good. One of the reasons, yeah. What, yeah, well, like, you take Ron Artest off the team, I don't know how, if they're going to get the same success. They almost did. They Without Ron Artest?
0: Yeah, they made a playoff run, lost to the Pistons, who ended up winning the championship.
1: Yeah, but, like... I'm saying like I agree. He was, yeah.
0: he was yeah. I think he was the second most important player on that team, and yeah well, and probably third if you count Reggie at that point. But yeah, I mean,
1: his value was not statistical.
0: Yeah. Yes. Same with a lot of the guys on that team too. Which yeah. I mean, that team was just it could man what could have been if only not, if only they didn't have attitudes. <laughs> man. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So 13 I've run our test. Let's go 14 to 16 because. We we have to do some more work to get to Lance for me.
1: No, I honestly don't have a lot to say about these guys, so okay. I think you're going to do most of the talking for the rest of the segment. Okay. But, um, I mean, I know about uh, – I had Dale Davis at, at 14. Um, I, I believe he's the one with a lot of the blocks, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's there, uh, and he had a good tenure in Indiana, like l- longevity-wise, I believe. And yeah. Ten um, seasons. Yeah, then I have uh, Detlef Schrempf. I I know about him as well, so um, I know who he is. But I remember him more for, like, Seattle. Um, But not really as a pacer, even though I guess I found out that he was an all-star here one year. But, like, the stats weren't really that crazy to me, so I kind of, like, didn't value his all-star appearance as I did, like, Brogdon's, like, case for an all-star appearance, if you know what I mean. Well,
0: that's exactly what I'm saying. You thought... Brogdon should have been an All Star last year, so that's how you're viewing Brogdon. I have a completely different view of Brogdon because I didn't think he was an All Star last year. My last
1: year Brogdon point of view, like pre All Star break, Malcolm Brogdon is like a complete 180 from how it is right now. Yeah,
0: but I I can tell.
1: (laughs) And then uh, at 69, Chuck Person, the rifleman, yeah, Um, fun player. That was a guy who
0: score. Me and you had to. I asked you if he counted on this list, so we so decided yes yeah, he only played till eighty nine I believe Reggie was drafted in eighty seven so he only played for the pacers until eighty nine then moved on, but yeah, really solid player, I think averaged twenty points Reggie's second year um so I like that pick. I mean, I have him at fourteen, which is next six seasons four hundred seventy nine games, really solid player. I have miles Turner next who. Is currently in his sixth season with the Pacers, 431 games, and will catch Jermaine O'Neal as the blocks leader for the Pacers. You can mark my words because Miles Turner is not going anywhere. He is a Pacer for life, or at least for the next four years. You can write that down. Um, So I have him at 15. And then I actually have David West at 16. I thought David West was... Maybe the most important player on those Pacers, oh, shoot, I Eastern had him Conference Finals run. Oh, did you skip him?
1: No, I had him, but then like when I was like changing some stuff to add Chuck Person, I forgot to put him back in. Oh, you're good. I'll put him after Chuck Person.
0: Yeah, that's fine. I mean, David West was like at the end of his career at this point when he played for the yeah. Pacers, but was you know the voice in that locker room, an important, maybe the most important piece for that team too, um, and. I, I just loved David West. I thought he should have been an all-star, at least one of those seasons too, but a solid player, crucial piece for that championship, or I always want to say championship, Eastern Conference Finals runs. That was my 16th, which leads us to 17th, which is where I have our beloved Lance Stevenson.
1: Okay, that's not that much lower than me. I mean, like, kind of
0: talent-wise, but... I bumped him up because of the seasons he played and which is seven. One season he only played six games it was the end of what last or two seasons ago? When did he play? Six games. I don't remember. But no, it was the season where he played three for three different teams, six games each. So I think it was Paul George's last year. I think they were trying to appease the Pacers were trying to appease Paul George
1: with the Hornets, like when he went to the Hornets. No, it was, uh, or was. it? I know he played on the Hornets, Clippers, Grizzlies. Yeah, uh, Hawks. I guess. Here, I will pull
0: it up uh, exactly. I think exact. I think what I'm saying is right. Um,
1: Pelic Pelicans. He put that was the weirdest thing I've ever. He so not in right there. 2016
0: 2017, he played for the Pelicans, Timberwolves, yeah. and Pacers each six games, and like how I'm saying, oh, like the the Pacers were just trying within the organization. We're trying to appease Paul George and bring his friend Lance Stevenson back. Um, and obviously it didn't work. Paul George still forced his way out. But yeah, Lance played six seasons that or six games that year, but all together for the Pacers, seven seasons, three hundred and twenty-eight games. Like we already talked about, he is Indiana. Indiana is Lance, and that's important to me. Especially like when someone thrives in Indiana, which isn't a hot spot for free agency. Um, when someone thrives like Lance, like you know, like you're gonna grab onto that. So I love everything about him. It's it's hard for me to put him above some of these guys, but I feel like just based on recency bias and how I feel about Lance as a person slash player for the Pacers, I had to bump him up. So like I have him over Antonio Davis, who I have at eighteen. Al Harrington, who I have at nineteen, who had one really good year before we traded him midseason. Chris Mullen, too. Like I have him over some of these guys. Jeff Fosh, who played thirteen seasons. Is seventeen too low for you, Sal? Or do you
1: think that makes sense? I think it's a tad low, but um I mean I I, I like these guys that had one really good season with Indiana that were on like like the lower ends of their career. I don't really value that as a as a pacer all time, but like like you said, Chris Mullen, I know you didn't put him ahead of Lance, but like this guy's like a warrior, and he's always looked at as a warrior. So I don't even like I saw pictures of him on the Pacers, and oh, like he looks like an old an old an old man. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, you could make the argument for like all those other guys, like in terms of like what they. Brought to the team in like statistically, but um, I guess I'll also say my seventeen to nineteen. That's the That's end here. of my list. But I said David West was seventeen, and then I have. Uh, I know this is very low for you, uh, but Jalen Rose and then okay. uh, Antonio Davis, which you had like at eighteen. So. Mm-hmm. So you left off
0: David West, um, and.
1: Did you have shrimp on your list? Yeah, I put I put shrimp and David West.
0: Oh, okay. So I I don't know. Shrimp who he, was fifteen and David West was seventeen. Okay, so I had Al Harrington at nineteenth. I don't think you have Al Harrington on your list. No, I do not. That one felt that wrong. I bumped him up kind of last minute. That felt wrong. I I need to do some more research on that, but I liked him. I'm a, I'm an Al Harrington fan, so <laughs> uh, I bumped him up. But yeah, so I had Lance seventeen. You had him at eleventh. Any room to move up for Lance or what has to happen for him to move into your top 10
1: is there a path I think he's just got to play a couple more seasons like honestly like I mean I know right now we're not um like trying to win but like if we're trying to win and you have Lance on the team it's more than just what he does on the court it's like a a a locker room veteran presence that we had some bad issues in the locker room i think that was last year um with like nate Bjorker and like that team was horrible and then you see like like this season like we have a very good like chemistry like we're a young team that like everyone likes each other at least that's what kiefer says and um i mean like lance is like i don't want to compare these two players at all but like right now their role his role like he has quality minutes on the court and he does contribute to games and like wins and uh still a great player but like um like you don't have you do haslam is to the heat right now he's i mean if you ask a heat fan where you haslam ranks all time even though he's not like the best player that he spent like 20 seasons in miami and that alone like that gets you like to like top 10 status like no matter what your stats are, like, if you have that presence and you're, like, a glue guy, like, kind of, like, Lance's into Indiana, um, I mean, that ranks you high. So, like, as long as he stays around, sticks around as, like, a veteran and such, he moves up. I think he's, for me, unless he plays, like, six more seasons, I think he's
0: kind of stuck where he's at. This is only because I have a hard time putting him over some of these guys that are ahead of him. Now, like in two seasons, if the Pacers are good and Lance is still an important part of that team, and say we make another Eastern Conference Finals run, which I also don't see a roadmap for that happening in two seasons, but who knows? Like, if he's an important part of that, yeah, he could probably move up at that point. But for now, like I have David West one spot ahead of him, ahead of him, and then Miles Turner two spots ahead of him, and I don't know what exactly it's going to take to get ahead of those two guys at least in my head but it's not going to be easy for Lance so 17 might be
1: the peak for me and I know that sounds crazy but to me I'd like to add crazy. I'd like to add one more thing let's hear it um so honestly I kind of take back I mean I, I think that Lance is solidified in that 10 to 15 range but like with Miles Turner potentially getting up to, like, the first all-time in blocks, like, I think he'll pass Lance at that point. And then, also, we have, like, six, seven years of Tyrese Halliburton, and just based on him getting in there, and I predict he's going to be a top three pacer of all time, maybe even, I don't know, we're not ready for that talk yet, it's only the first season, but... um yeah, like like there's too many players that are on the rise, and like then you have the draft pick that we might get that's going to be really good this year, and he's going to be a franchise-altering piece if we land within the top like four. So I don't think he's going to move. I think he's only going to move down because he's on the tail end of his career. So, But yeah, 11 to 15 for at least the next like many years. That's fair. I, I won't agree with that, but
0: obviously... We can't agree on all of this, so that's what makes this podcast great. Anyway, Sal, I'm going to let you go. We're going to talk Colts next, but it's always a pleasure. Have a great
1: trip to Toronto. First Pacers game in the books.
0: All right, now I'm joined by Antonio from Colts Tailgate or colts.tailgate on Instagram. Huge Colts fan in the know for uh, what's going on with the Colts. And for someone like me who's a you know Indianapolis Pacers fan, and a casual Colts fan, it's always nice to talk to someone who loves the Colts, lives and breathes the Colts, and you know, just help someone like me understand what's going on a little bit better. But Antonio, we've gotten to know each other a little bit recently, and we have some big plans for you coming up too. But I just wanted to say what's up, bring you on the podcast, and uh, how's everything going?
2: It's going pretty well. How about you?
0: Good, man. Um, thanks for asking. And you're going to be starting a podcast and it's going to be here
2: on the all Indie sports network and you're not alone, right? Right. So I'm going to be joined by Alex or also known as the Colt talks on Instagram. And so it's going to be me and him and it's going to be called the Colts corner. Awesome.
0: So what, what can someone like me expect from that podcast?
2: So, uh, basically every week we'll have, uh, whether it's like breaking news segments, uh, or just breaking down some of the moves or potential moves the Colts might make throughout, whether the off season or in season. Breaking down whether it's game footage or just overall film of players, um, and we look to have some sort of interviews of draft prospects on our uh, on our podcast and even Colts players.
0: Thanks for joining this episode, man. I'm uh, I'm you know my mind's kind of blown about everything that's been going on in the Colts world. When I was first a Colts fan, it was the Peyton Manning era and there was consistency throughout. Obviously until the neck injury and then Andrew Luck, which I mean, that was almost a flawless transition to that. So I mean, there's been consistency in the Colts organization since I was first a fan. But now there's a new quarterback every year, it seems like. And there's a lot going on this season, which is understandable is my whole point. So I want to kind of walk through what's been going on, what you've been hearing, and I guess we'll just go from there. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, perfect. Well, we got to start with the big one, which, well, I don't even know what's bigger, Carson Wentz leaving Indy or Matt Ryan coming to Indy. What, what what are you hearing, or what do you know about that stuff going
2: on? So we sent Wentz to Washington, I believe it was around two weeks ago, and in return we got um, – a second round pick. So we swapped second round picks in this year's draft with the Washington Commanders. And that moved us up five picks in the second round. But we also received a third round pick uh, in this year's draft and a uh, conditional second round pick in next year's draft, um, which is assuming Wentz plays, I believe, 70% of uh, snaps. And if he doesn't, then we'll get a third rounder next year. And we managed to use our third round pick from this year to trade for Matt Ryan. So in the grand scheme of things, we we traded Carson Wentz for Matt Ryan in a second uh, overall is what we got out of that, which is uh, some master craft by Chris Ballard right there.
0: That's insane. I didn't know that. I figured we would have to pay to get rid of Carson Wentz, especially he was what getting paid 30 plus million. So um, yeah, getting Matt Ryan and it seems like a, a, great thing he's
2: 39 though right I think he's turning 37 in the next few months but yeah uh, it was definitely helpful that the uh, commanders not only did they uh, give us all those picks we got a big pick call for Wentz but they took on all of Wentz's salary uh, which was 28 million to be exact and that was a week before his uh, bonus was due which had the Colts traded him a week later, the Colts would have paid him $13 million towards their salary cap this offseason, uh, which obviously would have limited the amount of moves they they can make the rest of the offseason.
0: Where does Wentz rank since, let's say, since Peyton Manning? Let's include Peyton Manning. Let's say since 99, I think he was drafted to the Colts. Where does Wentz rank in
2: Colts quarterbacks since 99? Since '90, Okay, so obviously you had Peyton... Uh, and, you know, there's a little of a, a gap. Uh, obviously, you had the year he got hurt with uh, – they had Curtis Painter, Dan Erlowski, who was a big uh, Wentz endorser, uh, I believe. Uh, we, then we had the Luck era. So, obviously, the two guys that are unanimously, I would say, ahead of uh, ahead of Wentz would be um, Peyton and Luck. And I think – I would say he's probably – off the top of my head, not including Matt Ryan, probably fourth. I think you have to put Rivers ahead of Wentz just because of uh, – I think he he brought the team to the playoffs overall and was able to get the job done in bigger situations. I know a lot of people uh, – a lot of the Wentz truthers, uh, I'm pretty indifferent on him, but I know a lot of the big argument from the Wentz truthers is his whole uh, 27 touchdowns opposed to seven interceptions. So on paper, you look at that and Wentz looks like a, a, gr- a great quarterback – but when you really break down the film and you take a look at some of the some of the uh, some of the performances he put up in big games and big game situations, uh, he wasn't really able to get the job done, and that kind of reflects how he has been as a player throughout his whole career.
0: The biggest blunder being losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars to miss out on the playoffs. Yeah, and and that's an intangible thing too. I'm I'm from you know my perspective it seems like Philip Rivers, Andrew Luck, or Peyton Manning, and Peyton Manning, they all would have known the situation and would have been able to pull that win out. Um, So, yeah, tough one. I am a a believer in Jacoby Brissett. Austin, who does the All Pacers pod with me, loves Jacoby Brissett. He'd say he's third since 99, probably. Um, You would have wince over
2: Brissett? Um, Yeah, I think that... uh... Brissett was very inconsistent. I mean, as was Wentz, but I think Brissett was very inconsistent uh, in his time with the Colts. I was a big, big truther of Brissett in 2019. He started off the season uh, when the Colts started off five and two, and he went down with an injury. Brian Hoyer came into play and my first ever Colts game in Lucas Loyal Stadium, I traveled all the way to Indianapolis and we lost to the Dolphins who that year Were uh, not doing too great. There was the whole tank for two of that year. And we ended up losing to them. Uh, Brian Hoyer was the quarterback for that game. And it feels like since that game, that season, they never really recovered. Uh, and they, they ended up missing the playoffs and going seven and nine that season. So I think Wentz at least was able to, uh, to bring us to a winning record, obviously he went nine and eight. He had, I think a higher upside than Brissett did. I think you kind of knew what you're going to get with Brissett, Like a, like a, high ceil I'm sorry, a high floor, low ceiling kind of deal. With Wentz, it's the absolute opposite where it's a low floor, high ceiling. You don't really know what you're gonna get. Very uh inconsistent. So it was uh it was rough not having consistent quarterback play. I would say arguably over the last three seasons between Rivers, uh Rivers, Wentz and Brissett. So I'm hoping that we can at least get two seasons out of Ryan and maybe a playoff berth or two. Maybe even Uh, a little bit of a playoff run with Ryan.
0: Well, let's talk about Matt Ryan then. So, I'm looking at his all-time rankings right now. He is 8th in passing yards in his career, right behind Dan Marino and Phillip Rivers. In pass attempts, he is ninth, right behind Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers. So, I guess that's not that important of a stat. I don't know if you think Eli's a good quarterback or not. He, and... Yeah, in... (laughs) In passes complete, he's actually ahead of Eli, but he's still behind Rivers and Roethlisberger. And in passing touchdowns, he's ninth right behind Ben Roethlisberger. So he's top ten in all this stuff. You could argue that's Hall of Fame numbers. I know it's kind of a quarterback-flooded era. I don't know where he ranks in this era. Yeah, but
2: the the numbers don't lie, right? Right. Well, I'm not a big of the numbers don't lie. I used to be a big numbers don't lie. Um kind of uh endorser but once I kind of uh saw this whole Wentz thing with the 27-7 and or I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you almost threw over 4,000 yards this year if you solely look at the numbers you uh I think it's a bit of a false narrative as to what you're gonna get from a quarterback I mean there's been games where Wentz looked phenomenal and didn't put up great stats and he looked terrible and just looks if you just look at the stat line or the box score of that game you would have thought he was amazing so, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a tricky thing to analyze, but I think Ryan should definitely be a part of the uh, Hall of Fame uh, contention for, for being a Hall of Famer.
0: One-time MVP as well and lost after being up 28-3 to to the Patriots in the Super Bowl that same season. That was 2016, six years ago. Right. That is that peak, Matt Ryan, is that – you think possible for him to reach again? Or, I mean, what, what do you expect that we're going to get from Matt Ryan in Indy?
2: So, I said the same thing with Wentz uh, going into the season with Wentz last year. The Colts, I don't think... We have a very well-rounded out team. I still have a few holes to fill, obviously. Still have a lot of time in the offseason. But going into last season, what I was, exactly what I was saying about Wentz was we don't need Wentz to be a superstar quarterback. We don't need Wentz to be uh, what he was when the Eagles made that Super Bowl trip, we don't, we don't, we don't need him to be that good. We just need him to play consistent and to just get the job done. That's all he needs to do. He doesn't need to play hero, which was the big issue with Wentz is he tried to do kind of a little bit too much. Um, Frank Reich was quoted saying that he needs to make the layups and a big part of the reason why we went, uh, another direction from Wentz was that apparently he wasn't very good at being coached and he was, uh, he was supposed to make the layups and throw it to these checkdowns, and instead he's forcing passes into double coverage. And that led to, to him throwing a couple of interceptions at Jacksonville uh, week 18. Um, and I think the same applies to Ryan. I don't think he needs to uh, play for us and be a top five quarterback or top ten quarterback in the league. Uh, he just needs to be sufficient. We have Jonathan Taylor. We have one of the best offensive lines in the league. Um, we have a great young receiving core that obviously needs some improving uh, from an overall standpoint, but we have we have the assets on offense, um, and he just needs to just get the job done is all, uh, all we need Ryan to do.
0: Okay, let's skip around a little bit because you mentioned the wide receiving core. I'm not familiar with it anymore since uh, Zach Pascal signed with the Eagles, and T.Y. Hilton still has yet to be signed. I know Rocky Sin, or not Rocky Sin, sorry. Uh, Mo Alley Cox is back and Jack Doyle retired, but what's, I mean, what's the receiving core? And we can talk about that
2: Jack Doyle retirement too, but what's the receiving core looking like? So obviously it's a big debate as to whether Michael Pittman should be considered a wide receiver one at this point, especially in his career is going into his third year. He just had a thousand yard season uh, no other Colt came even remotely close to getting to a thousand yards. So I think it's pretty fair to say that Pittman, uh, is a wide receiver one. And I think if he's paired with the right person, it could be like a one, a one B kind of situation. And obviously uh, a couple wide receivers already, uh, have been traded or signed this offseason. Obviously the two most notable ones are Devonta Adams to the Raiders and, uh, Tyree kill to the dolphins. Uh, I wouldn't have expected the Colts to be in on any of those guys, They'll never be in on any of those, uh, you know, super big name free agents under the Ballard regime. But uh, some guys I'm hoping that the Colts look at uh, is one of them definitely being Jarvis Landry. He brings that ability to stretch the field that we've always say, I feel like we say every offseason, we need a receiver that can stretch the field. And now with Pittman, uh, obviously having almost like a breakout season last year, uh, I think pairing Jarvis Landry with Pittman would be a very, very uh, sufficient way of addressing the wide receiver need. That's great route running right there, right? Isn't that both their things? Pittman's like a big body receiver and can go up and catch it, and Landry could stretch the field really well. They just paired it together be really well.
0: See, that's why you're on this episode because I thought Pittman would have been strictly a route running receiver. So, thanks for clearing that up. I gotta, I gotta add one more name to the list. Yeah. Julio Jones is a free agent, right? Match him up with Matt
2: Ryan. Right. Um, so I've seen a lot of people, uh, people mentioning Julio Jones. Uh, what I've been seeing is that he has a pretty big market. I saw the Cardinals are linked to him, uh, yesterday. Uh, and I don't think it really makes sense. He's kind of out of his prime. He's getting up there in age. He's, seems like he can't really stay healthy the last few seasons. Like he barely even – he barely played – uh, I, I don't know how many games he played last year. I believe it wasn't more than 10 uh, with the Titans. So he hasn't uh, really played a full season, it feels like, in a long time. And he's kind of like a Pittman-styled receiver, if that's if, – if you want me to compare Pittman to anybody, for your understanding. He plays pretty similar to Pittman. So I feel like the uh, the combination of the two wouldn't really make sense I know lots of people wanted the Colts to bring in Allen Robinson before he went to the Rams, but what I kept telling people was that him and Pittman, him Allen Robinson and Pittman and Allen Robinson, sorry, are very similar receivers. If the Colts do bring in a a free agent wide receiver, it'll be someone who can stretch the field. And one person the Colts I believe were linked to uh, before he signed to the Lions was DJ Chark, who would have been a perfect example of the type of receiver the Colts need. Uh,
0: Another name, Emmanuel Sanders. I've always liked him. He's kind of old at this point, too. I don't know. Maybe like an AJ Green, but wouldn't you rather just get T.Y. Hilton back in that case? Or do you think he has anything left in the tank?
2: Um, You know, a lot of people, I think the whole T.Y. Hilton thing is, I'd be for it if it's for like a veteran minimum kind of contract. Obviously, he's a longtime Colt fan favorite, one of my favorite players. Like, as I was throughout my entire childhood, he was like the face of the team. So obviously, T.O. Hilton being back would be awesome. But I don't think bringing him back really fills that uh, wide receiver need. So if we do bring back Hilton, I still think it's possible we bring in Jarvis Landry. But whether it's Hilton or like Emmanuel Sanders discussion or like a Hilton or Julio Jones discussion, I don't see why we don't just bring back Hilton because I feel like there's no point of really paying a guy like Julio Jones or Emmanuel Sanders when you have a, a guy like Hilton you can just bring back.
0: When I watch the Colts, it seems like he can run down the field and get a pass interference called, um, and that's you know when I I'm the same as you like T Y Hilton. If people ask me the past few years who my favorite Colt is at the time, I always said T Y Hilton mostly because I didn't really know the rest of the players that well on the Colts, at least defensively. I know all the big names and all the fantasy names, but uh, yeah, I mean T Y Hilton was always the guy. And now when I watch him, it's he can go get that pass interference call, um, and at least like people know that they have to watch him since he's a Wiley veteran at this point.
2: Yeah, the whole wide receiver room loves him. You could see Pittman, uh, constantly advocating to bring him back uh, on Twitter. There was the whole "Bring Ty Home" uh hashtag that was trending on Twitter last year. Uh, Tilton actually turned down like tons more money from the Ravens. Uh, to come back and play for the Colts. So, uh, I mean, the the, the, the whole uh, fan base and the whole clubhouse loves TY. So it would be really nice to have him back.
0: Let's talk about this trade with Las Vegas because we sent Rakia who I know a lot of Colts fans weren't very high on. And we got Yannick Ng- Ngukwe. That was Ngakwe. Ngakwe. Man, I even, I even had you coach me before this podcast on how to say his name. Dang it. Uh, walk me through that trade. What What's that mean to both teams?
2: So as for the Colts, uh, the Colts in the last three years have had three different cornerback coaches. So in 2019, it was, uh, sorry, in 2020, it was Jonathan Gannon who uh, has worked in his uh, career a lot with Xavier Rhodes. When Xavier Rhodes was in his prime and he was that lockdown corner with the Vikings, uh, Gannon was his corners coach. When Gannon left to come to Indy, that was when Rhodes had that really down season in 2019 and people started to question is Rhodes still this uh this top tier corner the Colts bring him in he worked under Gannon and it seems like he was a top 10 corner in 2020 uh and had another great season or a little bit inconsistent with injuries but a pretty good season uh, in 2021 uh under Gannon I'm sorry not under Gannon uh but Gannon went to Philly to be the defensive coordinator and the Colts had to bring in James Rowe who James Rowe significantly uh, affected the development of Rocky scene and Isaiah Rogers in a positive way. Um, obviously we saw you step up a step up in a bigger role this year, uh, had huge improvements in 2021 opposed to 2020. I think it's fair to call it a breakout year for Rocky scene, but I think that's largely due to the fact that we brought in James Rowe as the cornerback coach. And obviously, Isaiah Rogers took big improvements too. Isaiah Rogers looks like he can be a starting corner uh, for the Colts. And so, the reason why I like this trade is James Rowe is no, no longer with the Colts. So, the Colts defensive coordinator uh, was brought in by Chicago to be the head coach. And James Rowe followed our defensive coordinator uh, to Chicago. Instead, we brought in Ron Miles, who also happens to be from Las Vegas, uh, to be part of our, our defensive uh, coaches. Uh, as we also stole their defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley. And so I'm completely fine with trading Yassine, because I think his, his breakout season last year was largely due to James Rowe, the cornerback coach, and we no longer have him. And so I think there's a, there's a bunch of various solutions we can go towards uh, to address our cornerback need. We signed uh, a depth corner, Brandon Faxon, who's also a Raider. So we're like the uh, Indianapolis Raiders are on the defensive side of the ball at least. Um, and so right now the three main corners on the roster, uh, are Isaiah Rogers, Kenny Moore, of course, who mainly plays in the slot and Brandon Faxon. Uh, and as far as Ngakwe goes, uh, for the Colts, he's the edge rusher that the Colts have needed for the last seems like Robert Mathis. Yeah. And Dwight Freeney. Uh, of course it seems like we've needed that top tier edge rusher, so, obviously, last year we had just uh, partially addressed that need through the draft uh, in the first round and second round with Quidi Pei and Deo Odeingbo, who missed most of the season with uh, – I believe it was a torn Achilles because he uh, – in the pre-draft workouts before the last year's draft, he tore his Achilles, and the Colts snagged him in the second round. And I'm hoping that he can uh, be more part of the mixed next, uh, next season because he'll hopefully be fully healthy – but bringing in Ngakwe, he's familiar with Gus Bradley's scheme. And he had eight and a half sacks last year. So uh, being paired up with Max Crosby over there in Las Vegas. Uh, add him to this D-line with Buckner, who needs to be double teamed every single time because he can get be a ten and a half plus sack player. Uh, hoping that pay takes some strides in a year or two. And obviously Ngakwe is going to get you seven to eight sacks at least every year. So uh, adding a premier edge rusher certainly will help out the whole secondary that we just uh, we just broke down. Um, and I'm hoping that Ngakwe can continue his, his uh, pickup where he left off at the age of 26 still, by the way. Um, Ngakwe's been in the league for a while and he's only 26. That's another thing that's worth noting.
0: I feel so much smarter already about the Colts. I can't tell you how uh, impressed I am with your knowledge in that. Just based on talking about Nagakwe. Also, I've been saying Rocky of Sin since he's been in the league. It's Yasin.
2: Rocky. Uh, honestly, I've, I hear announcers say Yasin, so I'm just gonna assume it's Yasin. Okay. But Rocky Sin, Rocky Sin, I don't think anyone's gonna uh, call you out on that.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, let's. We have a few more things we want to talk about, but I feel like I really gotta pick your brain on this because it seems like you know everything, all the in and outs of the Colts right now. But uh, I mentioned him earlier, Jack Doyle. How are you feeling about his retirement? Was it time?
2: Yeah, uh, I think it was time. Uh, Unfortunately, again, another player similarly to T.Y. Hilton, a very long tenured Colt. Uh, Obviously, T.Y. Hilton said uh, towards the end of the season that he's going to retire if Jack Doyle retires. That was kind of the whole um, status quo with with T.Y. Hilton as to what he was going to do. Well, Doyle retired and it looks like T.Y. is going to come back and play football another year, whether that's with the Colts or not. But Doyle decided to hang up the cleats. And uh, I think the biggest thing the Colts are going to be missing from Doyle is he's very reliable. It feels like he would never, like, if he was open, like he was going to catch it. But the other thing that people don't necessarily see with Doyle is how great of a run blocker he is. The Colts really value that. They valued his, uh, his ability as a run blocking tight end. Uh, and the Colts, if you seem to look at uh, some of the tight ends the Colts bring in, The last couple of years, uh, obviously Trey Burton, they signed him ahead of the 2020 season, uh, are all very prestigious run blocking tight ends. And so it made it all the more necessary to go back and extend Mo Alley-Cox to a three-year extension. And now our tight end room still might be a hole for us. Um, I believe that we're going to address that in the draft. So we uh, currently only have uh, Mo Alley-Cox and Kylan Granson on the active roster as a for tight ends. So I would look to see if the Colts address tight end in the draft, maybe on day two. Are there any
0: tight ends that you're liking in this draft that you would love for the Colts to go after?
2: So the three the three uh, top tight ends that I would say in this draft, in no order, are uh, probably Trey McBride, uh, Jalen Weidermeyer, and Isaiah Likely. Um, there's other guys that I think the Colts can snag uh, – Maybe early day three, potentially. A, a guy I've seen a lot of Colts fans clamor over is Jelani Woods from Virginia. Um, Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State. I know uh, tons of Colts fans are also Ohio State fans. So Jeremy Ruckert uh, is a guy I, w- I, would, I would not rule out uh, the Colts to draft.
0: All right. I don't know any of those names. The second name you said sounds like a Notre Dame guy based on his name. Or Wisconsin. I don't know.
2: I'm trying to think. Was it Weidermeyer?
0: Yeah, Weidermeyer. I believe he went to Texas. He goes to Texas a and Oh, so not close at all. All right. Uh, let's <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's talk about some free agency a little bit because I know the Colts have some money to spend still. Who are some players that you could see the Colts signing and fitting
2: into the scheme immediately? So, as I mentioned before, Jarvis Landry is a big uh, guy I'm pretty high on uh, as for addressing the wide receiver need. Um, it seems as if the Colts... Aren't, haven't been very aggressive in the tight end market. I think most of the top tight ends are uh, pretty much off the board already as, uh, as for the free agent market. So I wouldn't expect to make a move uh, signing a tight end in free agency at least. And then offensive tackle, um, obviously the big name Armstead just got uh, signed by the Dolphins a couple days ago. So that kind of leaves us uh, with obviously we signed Matt Pryor who was a depth piece for us last year. Um, and we had tons of injuries on the O-line, COVID situations on the O-line. And Pryor stepped in and filled the role amazingly. Like I I couldn't have uh, asked for a better offensive tackle to fill in for Eric Fisher and Braden Smith when they both went out respectively with their injuries and illnesses. And I think uh, the the notion is that he's, definitely a contender to get the starting offensive tackle job. He's six foot eight, six foot seven, very tall, big guy, uh, who would be perfect to uh, stick on the left side right next to big Q. Um, And with, especially with these premier edge rushers, that have all seemingly uh, been stacked up in the AFC now with Chandler Jones, of course, and uh, Von Miller returning to the AFC. Uh, So, it's gonna be a, a big shoes to fill. Obviously, we had Costanzo, uh in there two years ago, uh, brought in Fisher for one year, and he was a little bit underwhelming. So hopefully, that uh, Pryor can be a long-time offensive tackle for the Colts, potentially. Um, and that's uh, basically what I'm I'm hearing for the offensive side of the ball. Um, defensively, the big uh, the big free agent that the Colts have been linked to that. Uh, seemingly is that the only thing people are talking about on Colts Twitter right now is Tyron Matthew uh, has been linked to the Colts uh, and he's very good friends with Kenny Moore. And I can't tell you how awesome it would be to have a defense, the energy on this defense with Kenny Moore, Tyron Matthew, uh, uh, Darius Leonard, of course. I mean, it'd be such a fun group of guys to have on a defense. and uh, like, it would just fill out our secondary perfectly. Um, we'd have very solid depth at safety with, obviously, Julian Blackman, who's going to be coming back from an Achilles injury that he suffered against the Ravens week four last year. Karee Willis, who i was always been super high on every, uh, since he was drafted out of Michigan State in round four. Uh, so that would solidify the safety depth, which we uh, struggled with uh, last year, obviously bringing in Tyron gives us three viable starting safeties. Uh, and with Ngakwe and Pei and Buckner, uh, obviously Odeyengbo as well, our pass rush is also super solid already. So I wouldn't expect to bring in any guys uh, on the defensive line unless it's like another depth signing. I know a guy that the Colts might consider be Rasheem Green uh, from Seattle. And that's pretty much it as far as uh, free agency moves. I don't expect to make a ton of ton of moves. If we do, uh, you know, sign anybody, I would expect it to be like one or two guys um, that could plug in and fill a fill a pretty big role. Awesome. And real
0: quick before we uh, cut this segment, right? Who, who's like some small names that no one's talking about right now? on the Colts that you could see having a breakout season this year. Give us your predictions and if you want like make your declaration right now for who
2: the Colts breakout player is going to be this year. So, the first one, uh I just mentioned Matt Pryor. Uh definitely another a guy who can um step in and fill a big role on the uh left side of the line, another guy who had another uh, on the offensive line uh who potentially might get a starting job. Uh, because Chris Reed is currently a free agent who uh, the Colts are trying to bring back actively uh, after our starting right guard, Mark Lewinsky signed with the giants uh, at the beginning of free agency. So right now the Colts don't have a right guard and the guy that filled the center role very well. when Ryan Kelly had his, uh, had his tragedy with his baby uh, was Danny Pinter. And he played guard all throughout college at ball state. So a local kid, um, and he filled that role very well. So I would not be surprised if P- Pinter does get the opportunity to be a starting guard, assuming we can't bring back Chris Reed and has a great season. So both of my uh, both of my breakout guys are on the O-line. Uh, another guy I could see having a breakout season uh, on the offense would be Kylan Granson. We saw glimpses of what he can do at tight end in his rookie year last year. And I think that with, you know, uh, losing Jack Doyle, it'll give him some more opportunities in the passing game. Um, and lastly, uh, Quiddie Pay. Uh Obviously, the first-round draft pick last year, he had four sacks, uh, and it seems like the Colts are really working hard on his development. And uh, with this new uh, defensive coordinator, I think he could flourish in this system.
0: Okay, give me, the, give me like an exciting name, like a running back, wide receiver, or linebacker.
2: I think... I mean, I think the obvious answer is Paris Campbell, and not just simply because when he does play, he's been very good, but that's when he does play because it seems like every single season with the Colts, he's he's gotten hurt, and it's been a long-term injury. So I think the obvious answer there is Paris Campbell because I really would like to see what he would be able to do with the opportunity.
0: See, that's not an obvious answer to me. Um, I would have never guessed that. So I'm I'm glad you shared that. Just know, you know, for us casual Colts fans, that's good to know. You know, I might have to draft him in fantasy at the end of the draft this year. For sure. That
2: would definitely be a a good value pick.
0: Yeah, for sure. Also, one more thing. I'm in a dynasty two quarterback league, and I really valued not drafting quarterbacks early, and it won me the championship the first year. But I started, this was two years ago, I started Matthew Stafford for the Lions and Cam Newton for the Patriots all season. Ended up winning the championship because the rest of my team was that good. But last season, I still had the best team, minus the quarterbacks. I started Stafford for the Rams, which was just a revelation for me, and Taylor Heineke for the uh, Washington football team. So now I'm, uh, I have Mariota I picked up at the end of the season, hoping that he might get a starting job this year. So, yeah, since Carson Wentz already ruined my Colts season last year, now he's trying to ruin my fantasy season this year by getting Taylor Heineke uh, out of the starting job. So, I mean, we'll see how Mariota does in Tennessee, or in Atlanta, I mean... Atlanta, right. Yeah, do you have high expectations for him?
2: So, he was a guy that a lot of Colts fans uh, wanted to bring in, and it felt as if at that point in time, we were pretty desperate. Uh, the, the guys we were linked to were like Marcus Mariota or Jimmy Garoppolo, which just kind of shines light on how good of a trade uh, it was to acquire Matt Ryan, who, who went from talking about bringing in backup quarterbacks to bring in a quarterback who's top 10 in like every single major passing category of all time uh, and getting a second round pick out of it as well um, with the trade for Carson, uh, trading away Carson Wentz. But Mariota in Atlanta, I think Mariota never really got a good chance. Uh, I think that he's definitely a starting caliber quarterback, but I feel like if any quarterback wants to go, we did not want to go anywhere. It would be Atlanta. The O-line isn't too great. Uh, they do have Cordell Patterson and Mike Davis, so two solid running backs and obviously a good uh, pass catcher in Kyle Pitts. But as for their receiving core goes, it doesn't look too promising. So the over the course of the last few years, their big guy was obviously Julio Jones, who was with the Titans last year. Calvin Ridley, who was just suspended. Uh, and then the next receiver was Russell Gage, who I believe just signed with the division rivals, the Buccaneers. And uh, so it's not looking too great offensively for the Falcons. I still think they're uh, definitely at the beginning of their rebuild. And I would look for them to potentially draft a quarterback, whether this th- in this year's draft uh, to sit behind Mariota or next year's draft. So um, I hate to break it to you, but I think Mariota is just going to be a stopgap quarterback for them. Uh, in Atlanta,
0: you know what? As long as I have a guy who's starting for a couple weeks, that'll give me that'll buy me a little bit extra time to get a new guy, right? And I think if I had to guess based on the receivers last year, Kyle Pitts is the number one, maybe Coral Patterson too, but Olamide Zacchaeus would be the third, right? So not not looking good for Atlanta.
2: Yeah, definitely not. Uh, but he's another guy who is definitely a breakout candidate. Uh, for for their receiving core because there's nobody else (laughs) yeah
0: that's awesome um well we'll see how it goes i'll keep you updated on that but (laughs) all right your podcast is launching soon so i'm excited i'm excited for what you and alex are going to be able to do on that and um how i mean i'm so stoked to hear you guys talk about colts if it's anything like this conversation i just had with you i know it's going to be an awesome podcast so we don't have a date for when that's going to launch yet but you guys you came up with the name and solidified it today so we're getting somewhere and hopefully in the next month or two we'll get this podcast launched and happening weekly that's the plan right yeah definitely well anyway man thanks again for coming on this episode and i'll catch you later thank you for having me all right well this wraps up this week's episode of the all pacers pod a podcast for pacer fans by pacer fans If you don't already, follow us on Instagram at all.pacers and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast listening platform. Plus, leave us a five-star review. We love to hear from you guys. But yeah, we got some big plans coming up. You got to meet Antonio on this episode. Sal already launched his podcast. So we're making moves here in Indy and we want all of you to come along on this journey with us. So thank you for supporting us up until this point and we hope to... Uh, continue to get your support here in the very near future. So until next time, I'm Jack. Peace out. Let it go. For three.
2: Got it. And the Pacers lead by two. Sabonis says, you want me Joel Embiid? Come get it, because I'm going to give it to you. Are you kidding me?
1: Sabonis brought it to him.